continuing our sermon series, looking at the book of Romans and considering how um, Paul chose to articulate the faith to this new church that was trying to discover what it meant to be someone who believed in Jesus Christ and what it was that Jesus really accomplished in their lives and for eternity. And so the book of Romans has a whole bunch of theological terms in it. It has a lot of um, just really beautifully articulated passages of hope and passages of encouragement. Um, sometimes it can be a little daunting though, because it, it, it can get cloaked in language that doesn't make sense to us or that we might feel like we know, but we don't actually know. And so we're continuing looking in Romans and figuring out what it means to be this church that lives faithfully in response to Jesus. In our passage for today, we're going to be talking about the law and we're going to be talking about faith. And I just want to say something before we really get into the scripture passage. Sometimes as we read the New Testament, we find that the law really gets a bad rap. There's a lot of times where it seems like the law is being slammed, that the law is bad. Uh, And I just want to say this from the front. The law was not bad. The law is not bad. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law was God's first extension of grace to humanity where God hoped that the law and believed that the law could be a way for humanity to close that gap and to reconcile humanity's relationship with God. So I just want to say, if you're someone who was raised or had heard before that the law was just not all that, um, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. So remember, law was the, the first extension of grace by God to humanity. Also in our passage for today, Paul holds up uh, Abraham as this model of faithfulness that leads to righteousness. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Abraham today. But if you haven't read the story of Abraham, who used to be Abram, then I encourage you to go um, into about the middle of Genesis around, you know, the 20th chapter or so and either side and just, you know, brush up on who Abraham was. It's a great story. Um, It has a lot of ups and downs. And we're going to be talking a lot about Abraham today. So... I think that's probably enough preface. Let's uh, turn to our scripture passage. It's Romans 4 verses 13 through 15. And again, this is Paul talking about Abraham, talking about God's promises to Abraham. And Paul says this, for the promise that Abraham would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. It's two weeks of wrath, which probably means we better pray. Please join me. God of hope, we hear you now as you beckon for us to respond to you with open hearts in faith. Please speak to us in ways that we can hear. Help us to know 
who you are calling us to be, particularly if the way that you were calling us to be is not the way that we ever anticipated we would be. I pray, God, that you will speak through me, through this sermon, and that you will help all of us to hear, even if I misspeak, to hear the good news of what it means to be claimed as your child. So we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is it that makes you and me so special to God? Many of us believe that what makes us special is what we do. Our achievements and our accomplishments or our grades or our salaries or our title and reputation. And these things really do make us special in the eyes of the society that we live in but they are not what makes us special to God. Scripture talks a lot about God's definition of what makes us special. And in our passage for today, the Bible uses Abraham to show us the difference between God's definition of what makes us special and our definitions of what make us special. Because when it comes to the heroes of the faith, Abraham is absolutely special to God. In Judaism, Abraham is the founding father of the relationship between God and the Hebrews. In Islam, Abraham is understood to be one of the links in the chain of prophets that begins with Adam and ends with Muhammad. And in Christianity, Abraham is regularly held up as the prototype of all believers over all time and in every place. If there's one thing that all three monotheistic faiths can agree upon, it's that Abraham is special to God. We know Abraham is special, but... Abraham wasn't perfect by any means. He was married to a beautiful woman named Sarah who was unable to have kids. And that was seen as something that was shameful in ancient times. Once when the famine drove Abraham and Sarah to Egypt in order to get food, Abraham made Sarah say that she was Abraham's sister rather than his wife, which resulted in the Pharaoh taking Sarah as a concubine. That's not a very heroic thing to do. Years later, Abraham ended up taking on a concubine of his own. Sarah's servant, her name was Hagar with a sole purpose of creating an heir. And then Abraham sent Hagar and the son that he had with her, Ishmael, off into the desert because the jealousy between Sarah and Hagar had become too much for any of them to bear. Because God had told Sarah and Abraham that they would have a son of their own if they would just wait which made Abraham and Sarah laugh and laugh and laugh. But 14 years later, 14 years after he had, Hag- had a son with Hagar, 
Sarah had a son that they named Isaac, which means the one who laughs. And that was the son that Abraham would later try to kill as a sacrifice before God stopped him. And all of this happened after he pawned Sarah off a second time as his sister to yet a whole other king. Friends, Abraham was nowhere near perfect. He didn't always make the right choice. He didn't always do the right things. Sometimes he was selfish. Sometimes he was cynical. Sometimes he was brutal. Other times he took the cowardly way out. So then that leaves us with our question. What makes Abraham so special to us, to God, and to the larger story of faith? Eugene Peterson helps us to answer this important question in the way that he paraphrases our passage for today in Romans 4. He puts it this way. So how do we fit what we know about Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story that we are given is a God story, not an Abraham story. When we, what we read in scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Put in other words, Abraham was special to God because Abraham chose to take God seriously. When given the choice, Abraham decided to trust God and then to act on that trust, which is just another way of saying that Abraham habitually lived by faith. And living by faith shapes our hearts very differently than living by the law. It's what Jesus and scripture talk about the most, living by faith or living by the law, shaping our hearts. Because the shape of the and content of our hearts, because who we actually are, that matters way more to God than how we appear on the outside. Who we appear to be on the outside is what matters to the society that we live in. Who we are on the inside is what matters to God. And God knows that faith shapes our hearts one way and that the law shapes our hearts another way. One of the most significant ways that faith shapes who we are is in the area of risk-taking. Faith creates and confronts risk, whereas the law eliminates and avoids risk. Faith inspires us to take that leap of faith into this unknown and unseen future, whereas the law tries to regulate our steps and to dictate where we can go and where we can't go. I want to tell you a story, a true story. 
about how faith can often create and confront risk. During World War II, London was bombed by German planes for 56 after, out of 57 nights and days. It was what came to be known as the London Blitz. And it was meant by the Germans to break the spirit of the British people. It was leveling factories, government buildings, residences. However, during this terrifying time, the Queen Mother and King George VI refused to leave London. Because of their faith in the British people, because of their commitment to the British military who were fighting against fascism, they remained at their London residence throughout the bombings, often visiting the areas that had been obliterated in the days or the nights before. When bombs would scream through the night and shatter the windows of their own residence, the first thing they would do would be to rush and find the people who worked for them and then praise them repeatedly for their contact, saying that they had a magnificent ability to stay wonderfully calm, which sounds about like the most British of compliments that you could ever give. Now, because the Queen Mother took this risky leap of faith into the unknown and refused to leave the city during the Blitz. Thousands of other Londoners refused to leave as well. And their collective resistance and bravery remains a source of pride for the British people still today and is often credited as one of the things that helped them to win the war. This behavior from a whole city of people It is then it was then studied several times by sociologists as an example of how living by faith can shape our psyche. Because researchers found that for the Londoners who stayed, who weathered, and who survived the bombings, their survival further cemented their faith that they just might continue to survive. They made it once, they probably can make it again. Faith begat faith. And though their ongoing faith continued to put them in the way of an ongoing risk, their faith set their feet on a path of legend. The Germans had engaged in the Blitz in an effort to crush the spirit of the British people. But the city sustained faith in their leadership and in one another and in what they were doing as part of that war set them apart as special. And it played a significant role in them being able to conquer the evil that was pressing against them. It's something that any British person will be very happy to remind you of if you ever give them the chance by asking. Friends, faith often creates and confronts risk and urges us to take risky steps and leaps of our own. Whereas living by the law seeks to eliminate and avoid risk, 
Faith looks at the unknown potential of what might come. And law looks to regulate what might come. Which leads us into the second difference in the way that faith shapes our hearts versus the way that the law shapes our hearts. Which is that prioritizing the law leads us to take an attitude of minimalism. Whereas faith urges us to live lavishly. Paul says in this passage that we're reading today in Romans, he says this, where there is no law, neither is there violation. Paul here is not promoting lawlessness. Paul doesn't prefer anarchy. It's really quite the opposite. Paul wants the spirit of the law to be fulfilled to the very greatest extent, not whittled away into some sort of simplistic, what can I do? What can't I do? We see this best when we look in the gospels at the person of Jesus who said himself that he didn't come to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill it. Scripture is full of examples about how this concept of fulfilling the law works and probably is best known in the story that is often referred to as the Good Samaritan. In that story, there's a man, he's lying, dying in the road, having been accosted by robbers and two men walk by in obedience to the religious law, a law that said that they shouldn't touch blood. And so they don't touch him. They don't stop and help the bloodied man. They walk by without doing anything, doing the very minimum that the law allowed. But then a third man came by. And he acted lavishly. He lifted the man up. He put him on his own donkey. He took the man into town. He paid for his medical care and his room and his board. Whereas the law had established the lowest bar, living by faith urges us to live by the highest of bars. Whereas the law says that it's okay to get away with the minimum. Faith says that we have to live lavishly into the moment that we are presented. Living by faith gives us a glimpse of the highest eternity. Showing us what it means to live with a generous and lavish love. I want us to think about what Jesus said during that most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the lavishness of faith over and over again. He says, if you're slapped on the cheek, then show them the other cheek also. He says, if they ask for your cloak, then make sure to give them your shirt too. He says, it's not enough to just love your friends. You must also love your enemies. Living by faith provokes us to be lavish in the way that we give of ourselves to others. And it provokes us to be generous with our resources. And that lavish, generous faith, my friends, that faith is what sets us apart as special. As special to God and as special to every person that we come into contact with. So 
The question for us today is, where is God asking us to take that risky step of faith? Where is God asking us, asking you, asking me, but also asking us as one united body of faith, where is God asking us to be lavish in our response to the people around us, particularly to the people who are most in need? Because in that moment where we decide to follow Jesus, we are liberated from the minimums of the law. We are set free from that view that self-consciously tells us that we have to avoid risks and play it safe so that we can preserve the image that impresses the society around us. In that moment where we decide to follow Jesus, we are set free to be lavish and generous and expansive with others unhindered by the limitations of the law that tell us that it might save us. But in saving us keeps us confined and fearful. In that moment where we decide to follow Jesus and take these risky steps of faith, we can begin to understand what God meant when he told Abraham that he would inherit the world. Friends, how are you and me and how are we being called to take these risky, lavish steps of faith? This life of faith, it has always been intended to be an exciting adventure one that we are invited into not as a way to earn God's grace, but as a way to respond to God's grace. It's what makes us special. Because when we trust God and when we live in a faith that invites us to be lavish and generous to others, that trust sets us free from trying to earn God's love and sets us free to enjoy and bask in the glow of it. What are you and what are me being called to do to step out and that lavish, risky faith. This week, let's do it.